Yeah, man, this past week was an amazing week. Can you just give it up for our student team? Um, Having a uh, sixth grader, now about to be a seventh grader, uh, it's just awesome to uh, see our team and how they love and just... um, really invest into the next generation. And it's just amazing. I mean, I would really challenge you, be a part of that. Um, if you have kids uh, or students, get them involved. Um, I always say you can really tell a lot by a church, by their kids ministry and student ministry. And I'm so thankful that um, our church has one and our team, we always say this, and I'm not just blowing smoke. Um, I know I have a biased opinion, but our student team is like the dream team. Um, man, they are just awesome. And how they, how they pour into, and usually summer camp is at the beach. Last year, because of COVID, they had to adjust. This year, I mean, I think it's just as, as fun, if not funner. Is funner a word? Okay. Um, you know, doing it on site. I know the volunteers are like, thank the Lord. I don't have to sleep in a bed in a hotel room and stay up till three o'clock in the morning. They can go home. But um, this is awesome to see that. So continue just to pray as God's uh, continuing to work in our students' lives. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter one. And as Brian said, we started this series last week called Forward where we're really going to be spending this summer, the next um, 10 weeks, looking at this amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul. And if you're here last week, just to kind of give you some context, because I think so often we think, all right, the Bible or these Bible books are almost like fairy tales, and how are they really connected to real life? Um, Paul is in the jail cell of a Roman jail. And he helped start this church in a city known as Philippi, And he's writing this letter. So that makes up the book of Philippians. And he's writing this letter from the jail cell. And we saw last week that Paul really has this amazing um, affection for the church of Philippi. And we see that in the first 11 chapters. He's just pouring out his love and just saying, hey, I yearn for you. Every time I think about you and pray with you, there's joy in my heart because this church is doing things right. And, um, and so while he went and he started that church with Silas and Luke, you know, amazing things are continuing to happen. And we said the book of Philippians, this letter is unique in the fact that if you look at the other letters written by Paul, it's very corrective in nature. That Paul is rebuking false teaching. He might be saying, hey, y'all are doing things all wrong. You're having, the, the world is infiltrating the church. And so let's stop that. Let's start doing this. But when it comes to the church of Philippi, Paul was just um, enamored by how well things were going. And so through this, we see, man, he's really celebrating. He's challenging. He's saying, hey, you know, like you're doing a great job. Keep it up. And what we're going to look at this morning, and I'm going to kind of put it in context, is as he's writing this letter from his Roman jail cell, uh, you can imagine, I mean, he's thinking about his time in jail in Philippi. And so when he got there, I kind of shared this last week, that Paul wasn't originally going to go to this um, metropolitan city. He wasn't planning on it, but God showed up, gave him a vision. He packed up his, his bags, got in a ship with Luke and Silas. They traveled to Philippi. They get there. And what was a custom is that he would usually try to find um, some Jewish brothers to live with and to maybe start a church. And it was so densely Roman, they didn't have that. And so he, they're just kind of walking and they come across um, uh, on the side of a river, this women's Bible study, and they meet this lady named Lydia. 
she loves God and she's trying to follow the Ten Commandments and God's law, but she's never really heard of Jesus. Paul and Silas and Luke share with her who Jesus is and, and she becomes a believer. So this is really member number one of the Philippian church. And what we see is shortly after that, as Paul and Silas and Luke are going and, and sharing with people in Philippi, the authorities find out and they end up arresting Silas and Paul and throwing them in jail. So it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But in Acts 16, we see this. And I can't help but think as Paul is sitting in this Roman jail cell, writing to the church of Philippi, he clearly remembers his first experience of Philippi because he was arrested with Silas. And I just wanted to read this. This is from Acts um, 16. It'll be on the, um, the screens. And it, it says this, um, and, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, and um, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now get this, verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. So not only did you have the officials, the, the lawmakers of the day attacking Paul and Silas, but then you have the crowd, like just random uh, pedestrians in the city begin to attack them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them so they ripped off their clothes and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So welcome to Philippi, Paul. <laughs> You know, you come in and your heart is like, God, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here, but you're telling me to go here. Uh, people need to know who Jesus is. And he shows up and he experiences these emotional, this emotional high by, by seeing this businesswoman named Lydia come to know Jesus. And next thing you know, him and Silas are met by these officials and the crowd. They're stripped of their clothing and they're ordered to take rods and just beat. Paul and Silas. And they, I mean, think about that. And they're just riding against them, beating them. And then they tell the jailer, hey, put them in prison, right? But keep them safe. Don't, don't kill them. And you have to think, it's like, okay, I'm just going to be honest. If that was me, I'm thinking, okay, I, I'll have like the whole, um, like Jonah complex. I'm like, why did I even come here? I shouldn't have listened to you, God. Let me get out of here. But what is so fascinating about Paul, and one of the things that I admire, and I hope that you admire too, that even in the midst of all that, he looked at life with a perspective of really this lens through the gospel. That he saw every opportunity for the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus, his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, to make it to the people no matter what it took. And while I'm sure, man, his body was bruised and broken and hurting, he was thankful for the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And so what we're going to see is that as he's writing to the church of Philippi, he's, you can see he's thinking about these things. And this is what's so awesome about this story. You can go back and read it. But they're in jail 
And one, one night, Paul and Silas are praying in the jail cell. They're praying, they're singing hymns, scripture says. And it's not like they're singing Amazing Grace because that wasn't around, okay? But they're, they're, they're singing some psalms. They're singing some old church hymns as they, the early church knew it. And as they're doing this, says it was about midnight, a great earthquake came. And all the jail cells open up. And it's dark, it's, it's nighttime. And the jailer who over, was overseeing the jail and making sure all the criminals, if you were, if you say, like, are in their jail cells and everything like that, he wakes up and he notices all the doors are open. And so his first instinct, you got to think, the, the jailer's a bad dude. I mean, at that time, he, he, like, looked forward to torturing jailers. That's why they had to say, hey, keep them safely. Because to him, he's, he's kind of like... Have you ever seen the movie Taken? Like Liam Neeson is like, I have a certain set of skills or whatever he says. Like that's the jailer, right? He's like, I love to torture and, and hurt these people. And they're like, hey, hey keep these guys safe, okay? Don't, don't torture these guys. But the jailer wakes up and sees all the doors to all the jail cells open. And he's thinking to himself, I'm dead. I'm gonna lose my job. So you know what it says in scripture? He pulls out his knife to commit suicide. He was going to stab himself because he did not want to go through that. So what happens here is Paul and Silas see this and Paul cries out and says, do not hurt yourself. And he's like, what in the world? And so the jailer says, hey, someone turn on the lights. Um, you know, I need to see these guys. He goes to Paul and Silas, falls at their feet. And here's a very important question that the jailer asks. This bad dude says, what must I do to be saved? It wasn't like, hey, bunch of jerks, I'm closing this door, you're locked up. He falls at their feet and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, one, that question shows the heart of the jailer, doesn't it? It shows that maybe he, it, we don't know if he's been wrestling with things or just the moment of this earthquake and seeing what took place. God just softened his heart and he's fallen at the feet of Paul and Silas. We don't know. Um, I would also probably say that he knows at some point who Paul and Silas are and have has seen their reputation and their character of, hey, they're, they're living it out. They're the real deal. They're not like these phony preachers that are like, hey, have everybody have a good day. And then behind the scenes, they're living a, a certain life. Man, they were the real authentic deal. So he comes to them asking them this question, what must I do to be saved? And I love this. They say, hey, you need to believe. You just need to believe. And so what happens in that moment is the jailer gives his life to Jesus. And then it says, immediately he was baptized, his household and family. Think about this. This bad dude gives his life to Christ. He goes, he tells his family, tells his wife and his kids and says, hey, we need to do this. And this is like the first family who joins the church of Philippi. So you have Lydia, right? Now you have this jailer. Think about this. This looks a lot like Five Forks campus, all right? So uh, just kidding, all right? But you just have these, you have a, a successful businesswoman and a jailer who are coming together to advance the gospel. That is Paul's heart. So as he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi in a Roman jail cell, he's thinking, I've seen lives transformed. And that's what it was all about. It was all about that for him. That was his life. That was his ministry. That was everything, the gospel moving forward in that. And so we get to Philippians 
where he continues um, this letter. And we looked at the first uh, 11 verses, but we see, I mean, I don't know if your Bible says this, my, my Bible titles this section, the advance of the gospel. And that was Paul's heart. That was his everything. And so let's read this together as he's affirming this to the church of uh, Philippi. And really, this is the mindset of Paul here. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The gospel being the good news. The gospel being people's lives are being changed by Jesus. Um, That's what he's talking about here. That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in jail for the defense of the gospel. The former, that's the ones who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? So he's pretty much saying like, what are we gonna do about it? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So Paul's writing, he's like, hey, I'm in this jail cell. Hey, but don't worry because I see it that the reason I'm here is to advance the gospel. And while I'm here, the imperial guard has come to know Christ. There's some other brothers that are preaching and now they have boldness and they're preaching it without fear. And there's even some people that are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and out of envy and rivalry because they, I don't know if it was like a numbers game and like, oh, Paul's saved six people and I haven't saved any. I can't let that happen, you know? I don't know, but we see this and Paul is saying, hey, I don't really care what's taking place as long as the gospel is preached. Whether I'm in jail or not, at the end of the day, I want the gospel to be preached. I want lives to be saved and I want the gospel to advance. And so there's two principles I just wanna share with you that we can pull from this passage to have this mindset of Paul as he's preaching um, or, or writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And the first one is, he sees that we should advance the gospel, advance in every situation. Advance in every situation. That Paul, here he is in a jail cell, once again, and he's gonna proclaim Jesus. He's not gonna pout about it. He's not gonna say, I quit, this is getting too hard. I'm just gonna, you know, clamor in. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, I just want to go back home. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed, if he's going to be released. He doesn't know, but he sees it as an opportunity. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I think this is so interesting and being fully transparent. I don't know if you agree with me on this or not. It's okay to disagree, but I think we live in a world and somewhat in a culture that we're raising, in some regards, a bunch of little sissies, all right? I know you're not supposed to say that in church, but I just did, okay? But you think about this, where when things get tough, 
we live in a world that says, you know, I don't want, if it's tough, I don't want to do it. Or if I'm going to have an opportunity to fail, I'm just going to run the other way. I'm going to treat it like a plague. That's just so tough, you know. And I don't, I don't know, like, listen, I'm not saying don't have a heart and be sympathetic or compassionate. I'm not saying that. But there are times where, you know, you like see like little kids fall and it really wasn't that bad, but they're like crying and like 40 people are like, are you okay? I'm like, suck it up. Get up, kid. <laughs> you know, like rub some dirt on it. Um, now, this isn't a fine parenting moment, but I took my kids one time fishing, and um, uh, this is confession time, but I took them fishing, and one of my kids, they went to, you know, cast out, and their hook got caught in one of my, the, uh, one of my other kids in their neck, okay? No, no big deal. He's alive, okay? But I thought it was caught on his shirt. On the, it was on the very back, but I didn't know it went into his skin. So I go over there to pull it out and I see his skin kind of raise up. You know, have you ever seen that? Yeah, glory, all right? And so I go to pull it out and finally I slip it out. He's like, ah, that hurt, you know? And so I'm thinking that hook is nasty. It's like rusted, it's been in water. So you know what every dad would do in that situation? I put hand sanitizer on it and it burned, you know? It burned, I'm like, stop crying, <laughs> you know? Like be a man. He's like, I'm eight, okay? <laughs> But think about it. We just live in a world where we're, we're just, when hard things happen, it's like we, we become paralyzed in things. And especially for us as believers, we have to know and to acknowledge it's going to be tough. Being a believer in a lost world is not a cakewalk. And we cannot expect a broken, fallen world and a broken and fallen America to be this God, this God awesome country that everybody loves God and we think everybody's gonna act like a believer. We have to realize it's broken and it's sinful. And if, okay, let's put it in the context of America. Okay, so we say God bless America. We say we, in God we trust is on our money. That doesn't mean that we live in a Christian country. And so Jesus knew that then he knows that now, and that's why he told the disciples in John 16, he says, I've said these things to you so that you may know and you will find in me peace. That you look to me. You don't look in the things of this world when they're hard or anything like that. He says, look to me that you may have peace. And in this world, you will have trouble or you will have tribulation. It's going to be tough. So we cannot, as believers, have this mindset or this expectation that when something doesn't go in a Christian way in our country, be shocked and surprised. It shouldn't catch us off guard whatsoever. That if our government or whoever in our world makes a, a statement that goes against God, we shouldn't be like, that's so ridiculous. We're, 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 we're a Christian country. No, we're not. We're broken. We're fallen. And sure, I, wanna, I would love for everybody in America to be a Christian. I would love for our president to be a Christian, no matter who that is. I would love for our officials to all be Christian. Absolutely, I, I pray for that. But at the same time, the reality is our world is broken and hard things are going to happen. And what we need to see is, are we looking to God in these situations or are we looking to the world? And which one are we looking to to say, okay, in this situation, the, the gospel is going to advance. When it is hard, the gospel, it's an opportunity for people to come and know the Lord. The, the circumstances of our lives will always reveal the condition of our hearts. Think about that for a second. 
The circumstances we face in life, the hard things, the death of a loved one, a, a, a diagnosis that didn't go well, uh, you get laid off from your job, whatever, fill in the blank. Hard circumstances always reveal the condition of our hearts. Now, this past week, you probably saw this in the news. Um, I will probably say it's probably one of the hardest things I've had to do. Um, uh, our two youngest, uh, our oldest went there, but our two youngest uh, go to Mitchell Road Elementary. And so I don't know if you heard this in the news, but one of the teachers, it wasn't one of their teachers, but they knew of her. It's a small school and they're like family there. One of the teachers was, um, her and her husband were on the Swamp Rabbit Trail. You might've heard of this in the news. And um, a driver just ran the red light and killed um, this teacher and took off. And um, so anyway, so on Monday, the school district, um, well, on Sunday, that happened last Sunday, and the school called kids that were in this teacher's class and parents, and they had them gather on Monday. And I was thankful and honored um, just to be invited to kind of, I didn't really do anything necessarily, but to come up to the boys' school and just be there. And in that situation, I'm gonna tell you, as soon as I walk into the school and you just see every teacher just crying. And then they, they put us in the art room and you see parents and the kids coming. Um, the, this teacher, she was, just got married back in November and her husband wanted to be there on Monday. He wanted to hear what the kids had to say about his wife. So he comes and as you can imagine, it's like a big cry fest. And I've never seen, um, these are fifth graders about to go into middle school. I've never seen that much emotion on a bunch of fifth graders. But I say that because not, I looked at it, not as an opportunity like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm gonna come over here and preach the gospel and be like, hey, does everybody know Romans Road? Let me share, you know, six verses from Romans. I just wanted to show up in that situation and try to be Jesus to the best of my ability. Pray, show support, and just be there. And in hard situations, our hearts are revealed, the condition, like we either are angry and while we grieve differently, when we go through hard things, we either get angry and turn from God or we point to, towards God and say, hey, this is gonna be an opportunity for me to, in this situation, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus and to point people to Jesus. Are you with me? And so with that, we have to look and that's what Paul said. He's like, hey, in this situation, it's really served to advance the gospel. I'm not turning away from it because it's hard. I'm not, I'm not doing this because like it's, it's just a cakewalk. But in this situation, I want people to know Jesus. And we need to be like that. We need to look and say, hey, in every situation that we face, you and I have the opportunity to show others the hope of the gospel. And that's what Paul said. So the next thing that we see is not only to advance in every situation, but that we can, as this mindset of Paul, to advance to every person. So as it's saying, he, he, it served the situation, served to advance the gospel. He says it's, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. All right, so all of the, the, these Roman um, soldiers and army, um, they, they know. They know the words of Jesus. Now they've heard the gospel. They, this has been proclaimed to them. And so they know all these things. So that, that's a person. Then it says that in this, 
the gospel is advancing through other brothers who are now made bold that are like, hey, I was, I was fearful that I was gonna get arrested. I was gonna get thrown in prison, that I was gonna be beaten with rods and, and all these things. But now they're saying, hey, I'm preaching with boldness. Because of what Paul did, he's advancing the gospel. I'm gonna get after it. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do everything that I can so that every person knows who Jesus is. And I want you to think about this. You and I, God has placed people in our lives for a reason. He's put people in our lives for a reason. And it's not just to, so your kids can hang out at the pool or you could do like that awkward waverly, uh, neighborly wave, you know, like I have no clue who you are, but I'm waving, you know? And, and, and it's not to just, you know, talk to the, this person on the sports team. Those things are great and relational, but God has placed people in your life for you to advance the gospel in their life, for you to point them to Jesus. One of the things that we always say, here at church is that every person has a story. In this room, all of us have a different story. We have past that look different. We have hurts. We have expectations that weren't met. We have things that have gone awry. We've had marriages that have failed. We have finances that are stressed out. And it's really easy for all of us to be like, hey, how's it going? I love being at church today. Everything's going great. But on the inside, we are hurting. And it's like, you don't realize, me and my family, we just fought all the way to church and I wanna kill my kids or I wanna kill my, my spouse, you know, or whatever, my finances. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I, think, I thank God that I'm getting paid on Friday because we got bills due on Monday and I'm not sure, you know, all those different things. But at the end of the day, while we all have different stories, so does everybody else. And what we have, if, if you are a believer, is the hope of Jesus to point people and advance the gospel to other people who need that, who need Jesus. And we become numb, especially in the South. Oh, everybody's a good Christian, whatever. No, they're not. Just because they say they believe in God doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. And so God uses us. He's using Paul, even in his imprisonment, to preach to the imperial guard, to give the boldness to these brothers. And there's even ones that want to be like Paul. And Paul's like, hey, you know what? As long as the gospel's being preached and it's not some false teaching, have at it. You can try to be like me, I don't care. Be like Jesus. That's what's most important in that. And so Paul was this real deal. And I love this because he says, um, the latter do it out of love. Think about that. And the first 11 verses in, in verse nine, remember he prayed for the Philippian church to say, I hope and pray that your love abounds more and more. And I think there's a, there's a parallel here that if we want to reach people for Jesus, we have to love people. And we have to love them to a certain extent that says, I love you so much, I care about your salvation. I care about your eternity. Think about that. I think it's so easy just to kind of love people surfacy and forget about the eternal stuff. But if we truly love our family and our friends and the people that we encounter, we want them to know Jesus because their eternity is at stake. And, and that's exactly what Paul, he looked at each person and said, you know what? This isn't just some project. This isn't some shallow, you know, plan. Just, hey, let me kind of preach this robotically. But he honestly cared about people's salvation enough. Said, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to know Jesus. So he shared those things with this great passion 
and insight. And it's so true of us that if we want to reach people who need Jesus, we need to make the relationship the priority, not religion. I think it's easy to say, that person really needs Jesus. Let me invite them to Easter. Hey, you should just come to church on Easter. Easy invite for sure. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that on the surface level. Or, hey, you should come Christmas Eve. Hey, ever thought about going to church? We have a great kids program. Those are great ways. But ultimately, we need to dig deeper and have gospel conversations with people to say, hey, like, do, do you know Jesus? I mean, I would recommend not starting off with, I know it's kind of old school, if you were to die tonight, you know, <laughs> if, would you spend eternity in hell? That kind of seems very impersonal and it almost sounds like you're gonna kill them, okay? Like if you were to die right now, do you know if you would spend eternity in hell? Are you about to kill me? You know, not like that, but build a relationship with them and look for ways, have them over for dinner, look for ways, even if it's like, hey, you're at a restaurant, hey, tell, tell your waitress, can I pray, can I pray for you? Or your neighbor, hey, what's going on in your life? How can I be praying for you? Easy ways to start gospel conversations that will lead instead of just saying, hey, you should come to this program and it'd be really great. Paul built and loved those relationships um, with the church of Philippi. I love this. He wrote this in Colossians in another letter. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, this is what Paul's saying, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word so that they can proclaim the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. I'm here because of it, but we wanna preach it. And so give us a door that, it may, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now get this, I think this is huge, believers. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. People who don't know Jesus aren't believers. Are we walking in a way that says, hey, there's something different about them? Or do they look at us and say, they're just hypocrites, they're just judgmental, they're narrow-minded. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. I mean, this is huge relationally. Think about this. My closest friends, I speak kindly to, right? I'm not a jerk to my friends. And so he's saying, hey, let your words be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is so true, that if we make the relationship and advance the gospel in every person, that's how we act. We're walking in wisdom, and our words are gracious, and they're in this relational um, category where they're not just some distance. Hey, let me just kind of throw this program at you. Let me just kind of say this robotic thing that I've memorized um, from way back when. But it's like, hey, I love you so much. Let's just, let's talk. Let's have conversation. Let's do that and look for ways to advance the gospel. And if you think about it, this is kind of my closing thing, is that the tragedy of life isn't the hard things that we experience or, or hurtful people. The tragedy of our lives is if the gospel doesn't advance through us. Think about that. You know how many people I meet that say, hey, I've been a Christian for 30 years. They've never led someone to Jesus. Man, I hope that's not true of any of our lives. The tragedy isn't, 
man, I've experienced a lot of pain. People are jerks. I wasn't raised right. I went through some tough things. I mean, those are hard things, but the tragedy is if you go your entire life without advancing the gospel through your life. God wants to use you. He's put you in situations. He's put you in places. He's put people in your life. And Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, if Christ is proclaimed, he says, in that I rejoice. Let us rejoice and be be confident to know that we are faithful with the word of God in this. So here's my invitation. Just as we close this morning, you're really one of two people in this room. One, you either have a relationship with Jesus or two, you don't. And for those of you who who don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, I would love for you this morning to say, hey, that whole gospel, that whole hope, the good news, the work and life of of Jesus, I kind of know about it, but I need some life change. I'm going through some crummy stuff and I'll just try to find my hope in the things of this world. And I would love to be able to just cling to the hope of Jesus. If that's you, I would love to talk to you, whether that's here in the front or in the back. I, I totally get it if you're embarrassed to come up front. But if you want to talk, let's talk. Let's hook up for coffee. Let's have a phone call and let me pray for you. And then the second group, if you know Jesus and are walking with Jesus, are you proclaiming and advancing the gospel in your life? That's a challenge for believers. We get complacent and stagnant and kind of comfortable with where we're at, but are we moving forward with the gospel? Let me pray for us and then we'll close in worship. Father, we are so thankful just for this example of Paul his heart to see people turn to you. And I know so often we are so focused in our world about the hard things, things that we go through. And a lot of times that can just distract us from the purpose of advancing the gospel, seeing life change. And even, maybe even the slogan advancing the gospel kind of seems churchy and I don't know if I can do that. Isn't that for like missionaries in foreign countries or something. But God, you call us, every believer, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us to advance the gospel in every situation and to every person. God, we see, we see you do it in the church of Philippi, Philippi with this businesswoman named Lydia and a bad dude that was a jailer. Come to know Jesus and they form the church. That's the beauty that anybody And everybody needs Jesus. And we come together unified in that. So God, give us the boldness. Give us the the passion and the desire to proclaim your name in all situations to every person that we encounter. And for the person here that's just wrestling in a relationship with you, maybe just to be honest, they're like, man, this whole 20-something minutes, 30 minutes of preaching is just boring. I'm just ready for lunch. I just want to get out of here. I don't even like being here. But God, I pray that you just wrestle with their heart. Show them that they need you. They can't do this life by themselves in a way that you designed it and allow them to give their life to you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand up, let's let's just worship. Let's just say, God, you can have everything in me. I just wanna worship you and I wanna advance your word.